the Eddie B. Sit edition of the Talmud Babli. Masechet Shekalim has been dedicated by Dr. Isaac Meddeb and his wife Lily in memory of Moshe ben Nachel Man. We hope that the learning of the 22 Dapim of Masechet Shekalim will be a a ilui neshama for the niftar Moshe ben Rachel. Tehi nishmatot zerura b'tzor hachayim. Amen. Daf Gimal. Today's daf has been dedicated anonymously in honor of David Katz of Katz Judaica. Katz Judaica, 632 Kings Highway, 718-375-7272. The scale of Mizvot. Today's daf has been dedicated to Nishmat, Acham Baruch, Rafael, Ben Miriam and Abraham Ben Esther. Ruach Hashem Tanihem Began Eden. Amen. Amen. We begin today on Daf Kimal, right on the top line of the Gemara. Metakenin et adirachin ve'et archobot ve'et mikvaot amayim ve'osin kol sorcheh harabim. Our Mishnah said that on the 15th of Adar, uh, the uh, betin begins to fix the roads in order to prepare them for the Oled Galim, or as we explained for the Eid Miklat, so people can access the Eid Miklat, because over the winter, the rainy season, the roads become uh, messy, and therefore they have to repave them. Furthermore, they would reestablish the mikvaot. Uh, some of the mikvaot would get dirty, because the, all the debris would fall into them, or because the shi'ur would diminish. And the Mishnah then said, and all public works are done. So the Gemara is going to explain what these tzorche rabim, the needs of the rabim are. Eluhen tzorche arabim. The following are examples of tzorche arabim. Danin dine mamonot. Betin over the course of the year would have different uh, cases come to them. Sometimes they were monetary cases. So towards the end of the year in Adar, they try to close out all pending cases. So they finish up with all the Dine Mamonot, Vidine Nefashot, that would be capital punishment cases. Dine Makot, those are cases that are subject to punishment of lashes. Upodin Erchin Vaharamim Vekdeshot. Betin uh, analyzes that time of year. If anybody, let's say, donated their value to the Bet Hamikdash, so they need that's called an erich, erki alai. So they have to go and um, evaluate how old the person is, male or female, and therefore uh, uh, take the proper money from this donation and give it to the Bet Hamikdash. For that matter, haramim and hikdeshot are. People that made donations, either they sanctified something to the Beit HaMikdash, or they made a donation to the Hekdesh, so while Betim was collecting the Hefe uh, Shekel, so they also would take care of all the other Haramim and Hekdeshot that were outstanding to the Beit HaMikdash. Umashkin et sota. Betin would also check out the Sotot, those are the ladies that the husband suspected them of adultery, and any lady that uh, had the proper qualifications would drink the special waters of Sota. Um, any lady, for example, that uh, would not drink the waters, so then the dean would be, she would have to divorce uh, from her husband, and she would forfeit her ketubah. So they would settle all the outstanding cases of sotot. Vesorfin et hapara. 
Again, if they needed mechatat for the para aduma in order to purify people that are tameh, they would indeed burn the para aduma in order to make those waters. Me'orfin igla arufa. The law of igla arufa is that they found a corpse between two cities, so they would measure. Uh, to which uh, city the corpse is closer to, and then that city would have to come and go through a special ceremony called the Aglarufa as kapara for the uh, for the uh, death. If an Eved Evri, a Jewish slave, does not want to leave his master after six years, so the Torah says that they bring him to the doorpost and they pierce his ear. So that would be done as well at that time of the year. Uh, Metzora was a leper. So after his days of quarantine, uh, the law was that he has to go through a tahara process and then brings his korbanot. So to make sure that all the Metzora'im were uh, finishing and following their process. And they would literally uh, undo the lock that was on top of the cisterns. These cisterns held water in them. During the winter months, they would lock it. It seems that they were able to rely on the rainfall. However, during the uh, summer and the spring, they needed water. So what they would do is they would unlock the wells in order that the people were able to have access in order to drink. Uh, they, during the year, they didn't want people to drink in the borot, so they would uh, lock them, as was explained. And they do not return them until the next winter season. Which means they would keep them unlocked until the next uh, season comes, where it's the winter, and then they would relock them again. Taman Taninan. We learned over there in the Mishnah. This is a Mishnah in Masechet Mu'ad Katan. Mashkin Bet Hashelachin. These are discussing different laws that apply to Hala Mu'ad. One of the laws we said was, is if you have a field, it's called a Bet Hashelachin. That's a field that is not irrigated enough from rainwater alone, but it needs private irrigation. Now, on Hula Mu'ed, while Melakha usually is forbidden, however, in a case where there's going to be a hefsid, where there's going to be a loss, like in a case where if you don't water a field that needs its water, so the hakamin said it's mutar. So the Mishnah said, Mashkin bet It is permissible to water a field that needs water on Hula Mu'ed. Um ala kibarot. And you are able to make markings on the tombstones. Now, they allowed that on Khulam either, uh, as well. Hakamim explained in Mu'id Katam because they were able to find cheap labor on Khulam to do these jobs. So therefore, it's considered a hefsed, uh, so therefore they allowed them to hire workers to make these tziyunim. But the Gemara is the obvious question. Lo kevar tziyunu me'adar? Didn't we learn in our Mishnah that the tziyun kevarim was done already from adar? Which is on the uh, 15th of Adar already, the Beit Din dispatched people to go and repave or re-tar, uh, re re-limestone the Kibarim so the Kohanim will know exactly where they can walk. Why are they doing it again on Halamohed? So the Gebra says, V'tipater, and you can answer this, Shiyarad Shetev Shul Geshamim which means must be that there was a downpour of rain after they. Uh, 
put the markings, and therefore they had to do it again, because it washed it away the first time. But you're right, if there was no rain, they would not have to go out on Cholamu'ed. Comes the... Gemaran continues, the Yotzin af On Cholamu'ed as well, the Betin would also dispatch inspectors to go out and make sure that in everybody's field they did not have kilayim, meaning they did not have a mixture of uh, plants or that were uh, planted together. So the Gemara asked the obvious question, Lo kevar me'adar? Didn't they already go out in Adar, like we learned in our Mishnah, that the Betin would dispatch inspectors on the 15th of Adar? Tipater, we can answer this question. Shaita hashena hashana afela, which means it was a late year for blooming, and therefore the produce did not bloom early. The enatzimachim nikarim, and therefore the produce was not recognizable, so they couldn't go out on the fifteenth of Adar because nothing was noticeable. So in that case, they send the dispatches out on Cholamu'ed uh, because then already it's uh, noticeable and they can uproot whatever they. Uh, Whatever they see is not uh, permissible. Now the Gemara asks, Minayin litziyun. Where do we know this concept that you have to make tziyun kevarim? That you have to mark the, uh, the graves? Well, where do we learn this concept? Rav Berachia, Rav Yaakov bar Bat Yaakov b'shem Rav Hunya, Dibrat Hevrim, from the place called Dibrat uh, Hevrim, Rav Yosa Amrila, Rabbi Yosa says, Rabbi Yaakov bar Acha b'shem Rav Hunya debrat Hivrin. Rabbi Hizkiya Rav Uziel bered Rav Hunya debat Hivrin b'shem Rav Hunya debet Hivran. These are all the different names of the rabbis that, uh, you know, are going to say this uh, opinion. Ve'tame tame yikra. We have a pasuk by the Mitzorah. The Mitzorah, when he has to leave the camp, he has to scream, Tameh, Tameh, in order to warn everybody to keep away from him. So the Gemara makes it the Rasha, Kedesh Tum'ah Kur'ah Lach Befiha. The Tum'ah has to call out, so to speak, with its mouth, Ve'omeret Lecha, and it says to you, Perosh, go away. So therefore, so to speak, you have to put a marker, and what is the marker's purpose? It screams out to the, to the Kohen that's walking, Perosh, Tameh, Tameh. From there you learn that, just like the Mitzvah has to warn the people, so to the grave has to have a warning sign, so the people know to stay away. Comes the Gemara continues. Rav Ilah B'Shem Rav Shobah Nachman, he quotes a Pasuk. This pasuk is in Yehazkel. Actually, this pasuk was talking about in the future, what's going to happen, a future prophecy, but the Gemara learns it as a dirash for Tziyun Kevarim, even in the present. And the passers-by will pass in the land. They will see the bone of a man. And they will build on his kever, on his tombstone. They will build a tziyun, a marker, al kibro. Ad kov, sorry. Ubana etzlot tziyun, and they will build a etzlot next to it, a tziyun. Ad kibro oto until they would bury him. That's the pasuk. And now the Gemara explains. Mikan. From here you see that when you have atzamot that were buried, 
You see the Papi Askel is predicting and teaching us that what? That you're going to have to make a tziyun. Why? In order that the people know that there's Tumah there. Again, in Aetzim is mitameh be'ohim. Even a bone, without flesh, alone, if a Kohen would, let's say, hover over it, ma'il, it can make him tameh. So come to Gemara now, is going to be Doresh, every word in this Pasuk. Adam, right, the Pasuk says, etzim Adam. So what does it mean, Adam? Mikan shemitsayinin. Well, actually, we can stop in the first word. Etzim, mikan shemitsayinin al-atzamot. From the word etzim, we learned that what? You have to make it siyun for bones. Adam, the fact that it says Adam, mikan shemitsayinin al-ashidra, from here we see that we also make tziyun for the shidra, that would be a bone from the spinal column, and the gulgolet would be from the skull. Now, uh, when it comes to irregular bones, there's a certain shi'ud. You need the shi'ud of rova hakav. A rova of a kav of bones. However, if the bone comes from the spinal column or from the skull, even one bone is enough to be metameh be'oil. Because that makes up the major frame and uh, shape of the body. So therefore, they give the, 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 two things. Etzim, a regular bone from any part of the body is rova kav. have to make a tziyun. Adam, if it comes from the main frame of the person, which is either the gulgolet, which would be the skull or the shidra, even one limb has the ability to uh, emit tumat oil. Ubana, and it says they will build. Mikan shemitsayinin al gabe eben kibua. So it says ubana, you will construct. So from here we learn that they would place the tsiyun on a rock that is firmly established in the ground. Why? Im omer at al gabe ebin telusha, because if you're going to say you're going to put the siyun on a stone that is not uh, firmly placed, embedded in the ground, afi holechet umetame bimkom aher, what's going to happen? The the rock is going to roll away. Now what's going to happen? A kohen's going to walk. He's going to see a stone over there with a marker on it. Mm-hmm. Now he goes, oh, there must be tuma over here. Now if he happens to walk over that rock, he's going to take his tiruma and is going to burn it. Because it's Tameh. Really it's not Tameh. Because really the rock had rolled away. So therefore the Gemara is telling you, only put uh, Tziyunim on things that are permanent, in order that it doesn't roll away and cause a situation of a mistaken Tum'ah, where there is no Tum'ah at all. The Gemara continues, It's law, when it says it's law, that they would put the tzion next to it, limkom tahara, next to the place <coughs> in a place that was actually tahor. Meaning, where would they put this marker? They wouldn't wait to the last spot where the kever is and put the marker there, because we're worried that the kohen's walking. Suddenly, he just might walk into the kever, and it's too late already. It's tameh. So, a little before the kever, they would put a marker. So that's why it says etzil. They would put it next to the kever in order that the queen has a um, a little uh, warning. Right, that's why it says it's law. Tziyun, mikan letziyun. From here we learn the concept that you have to make markers for the beta kevarot. Now the gemara says umatzah. 
Now, actually, this should be prefaced with like a um, a tani. We learned in a brayta. Matzah even achat mitzuyenet. Let's say you found one rock, a stone, and it had a tziyun over it. Afalpi she'en mekayemin ken, even though that we learned above that you really don't put the tziyun on the rock itself, on the tombstone. You put the tziyun really a little before. So therefore you might say, well maybe this was done uh, mistakenly, and therefore I don't have to worry that there's a met underneath. Because normally, again, you wouldn't put the tziyun on the even itself. You would put it a little before. So the question is, now you found a rock with a tziyun on it. So now the question is, the Kohen, let's say, was ma'ahil over that rock. Do you give him tuma or not? So the Gemara says, ha-ma'ahil aleha tameh. Even so, the Kohen that's ma'ahil over that <coughs> over that uh, rock, we say, is indeed tameh. Why? And yomer... Met mitsuyin natun We have to say there was a met over there that was placed underneath it, and therefore could be the guy made a mistake. Which means maybe they made a mistake and they instead of putting it where they were supposed to, they marked it on the exact spot of the uh, met. So therefore you have to be mahmir and say that what <coughs> the Quran is indeed Hayushtaim. <coughs> now let's say you had two rocks. Okay, you have a rock, some space in between, and another rock. And on both rocks you have siyunim. So the Gemara says, tahor. The rocks themselves, underneath them, is tahor. However, tameh. But in between them is tameh. I mean, that was the logic why they put the markers on both sides. To warn people from coming from both directions, that anything beyond this rock, there's a myth that's buried in between. So that's the logic of the two rocks. However, But if, let's say, in between the rocks, it was plowed. Now, you know, if it's plowed, there's no mat over there. Because you don't plow in a place where there was a mat. Then already we consider them separate individual rocks. And therefore, Meaning, in between the rocks is going to be Tahor, the Svivotehen, or as the Qurban Adas text is, the Tahtehen Tameh. And underneath the rocks is going to be Tameh. Comes the Gemara and continues. En Metsayenin al Abbasar. Which means a place where, let's say, you just have flesh of a mit without any bones. Now, even though, so long as the flesh did not decompose, it has the ability to metameh. Still, we do not put a tziyun on flesh alone. Why not? Because you're concerned that eventually, the basar is going to decompose. Now, this tziyun is going to be here for a long time. Meanwhile, there's not going to be tumah, because you don't have the shi'ud of basar. So therefore, we do not make it siyun on basar because it eventually decomposes and your siyun is going to be outdated. Now what's going to happen? Kohanim now are going to walk by. If they walk by by mistake, they're, they're going to think they're tameh and they're going to burn now tirumah uh, for the wrong reason. So the Gemara asks, Rav Yusta Bar Shunem, Rav Yusta Bar Shunem, Ba'akume Rabbi Manah. He asked a question in front of Rabbi Manah. 
ולא נמצא מטמא טהרות למפריע, which means all the while that the basar does not decompose if a person went there and he had tarot in his hands, for example, he had tiruma, and he didn't know, so now what you're really doing is you're being metameh all the tarot retroactively, meaning how can't you put a marker? For, for the time that the basar is the proper shi'ur, you're not going to, the Quran's not going to realize that the stuff that he has in his hands is indeed tameh. So the Gemara says, Amar Lehi, he answered him back, Mutav shi yitkalkelu bo lesha'am, ba'al yitkalkelu bo le'olam. Which means, better that there should be a temporary problem, than that there should be a permanent problem. Meaning like this, when they're going to make a siyum, on the spot where the basar was, the people are going to think that the basar is still uh, there. And it did not decompose yet. And therefore, what's going to happen? People are going to be soref and burn their taharot when they walk by either by mistake or by accident. They're going to think that there's masad. And this is going to happen for what? For the long haul. It's going to happen forever as long as that marker is there. And therefore, we'd rather that there be a temporary problem of some people walking by and unwittingly they're Tarot are really going to be Tameh, then to have a longer problem. Now, the question is, what do you mean? Uh, <coughs> it's a big problem, even a temporary problem, to let their uh, Tarot become Tameh. So the Mephashim explained that really people generally know when a new uh, grave was dug or Basar was there, so they generally have an understanding when it was placed there. So therefore, if it's new, the Kwanim know to keep away from that area. So we're really not so worried that a Kohen, uh, when you don't put a marker, that he's not going to know. There's, uh, there's usually an understanding when somebody was just freshly buried. So even though you don't put a marker, it's not such a hashash that the Kohen is not going to know that exists. Therefore the Gebarah says, in the case of Basar, better not to put a marker than to market because you'll have problems for the long haul. Mara continues. Halakha bet. And we read the next Mishnah. Amar Biuda. Barishona ayu okrin. Originally when the inspectors would come to the field to check for the kilayim, so originally they would uproot the kilayim from the field. And they would just place the uh, uprooted uh, vegetation that they pulled out And they would just throw it and leave it on their fields <laughs> The intention of that was <clears throat> in order to embarrass them So everybody would walk by the field and say Oh, look at these, these guys got caught for a violation of Kilayim <clears throat> However, when the uh, sinners started to uh, perpetuate, there was a lot of people that didn't care. So the inspectors started to throw the kilayim, um, not in the field, but on the road. And then they finally made the final takana, that they made the entire field through a law that we'll see now that's called Hefker, Bedin Hefker. It's like an eminent domain where Betin just made their whole field ownerless. Now the Gemara explains the uh, scenario of these Takanot. 
אמר רבי יהודה, תני, אמר רבי יהודה, בראשונה היו עוקרים ומשתיקים לפניהם. Originally the inspectors, they would uh, uproot the kalayim, and they would just leave it on their field. And the owners of the field were happy for two reasons. Number one is because they were... Um, they were weeding their fields for them yeah, right. by pulling out all the uh, you know, uh, kilayim it was beneficial <coughs> it pulled out some weeds as well so they were happy, they had the inspectors do their work for them they had and number two <coughs> they also benefited from the kilayim in what sense the animals are able to eat it so therefore we have free food for the animals so therefore they, they had no problem with what the inspectors were doing so when these people kept on committing the sin and it became very, very uh, much, so they said, you know what? We're not putting it in the fields anymore so the animals can benefit. So they would uproot the kalim and just throw it in the street. So they were happy because bottom line they were still getting free weeding service. Therefore, it kinu shiu mafkinim kol asadekula. So they made a new takana. Anybody has kilayim. When the inspectors come, their field becomes hefker. Wow. It becomes ownerless, and therefore they lose <coughs> the entire field. Comes the Gemara now and analyzes. How do we know this principle that Betin has a right to seize the property of somebody and make it hefker, uh, to make it ownerless? So the Gemara says, It's actually a pasuk in Sefer Ezra. Ezra and his Betin made the following proclamation to the Jewish people. Anybody that doesn't show up. In three days, according to the advice of the Hakamin, what's going to happen? Yahoram kol rechusho. His entire uh, uh, estate or his assets will become harem. They will become, um, you know, eminent away. They will become uh, hefker. Confiscated, exactly. Vehu yibadel mekehal hagola. And that person also will become Muhlam, uh, who also will become exiled from his nation. So you see what? Ezra and his Betin had the ability to threaten B'nai Yisrael and tell them that if you don't show up by a certain day, so therefore all your fields are considered ownerless. So therefore you see the concept from a pasuk already of Hefker Bedin. Hefker. Comes the Gemara and says, Minayin shehi petura minamasrot. The question is like this. Normally a field, yeah, I have to give ma'asir. That's 10% of the produce to the levi. So the shayla is like this. When hachamim said, hefker betin hefker, true, you're punishing the owner of the field. But you're also impacting now the levi. Because the levi usually gets 10% of the produce. But he doesn't get it on a field if they made it totally hefker even from ma'asrot. So the Gemara wants to know this principle of Hefkir Betinik and how far did they take it? Did they just punish the owner, but the Levi still has claims on the 10% of Maaser of the produce of that field? Or when they made Hefkir Betin Hefkir, it's across the board, it's totally Hefkir, and even the Levi loses out on his uh, Helik. 
So that's really the question. To what extent does Hefker Bedin Hefker work? So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yonatan Bered de Rav Yitzhak Bar Aha Shama'la Minhada. He he solved this question from the following Braita. Shama'la, he solved it Minhada from this Braita. En Ma'avrin Etashana. Betin is not allowed to make a leap year. Now we know what a leap year is, right? They would add an extra month to the year, usually they would, not usually, but they would, add, they would add the last month, Adar, they would make an Adar Shani. So, in Ma'avrin Tashana, Lo B'Shvi'it, not during Shemitah, they would not add an extra month, Ve'lo B'Motza'eh Shvi'it, nor would they do it in the eighth year, in Motza'eh Shvi'it. Ve'im Ivruha, but if Betting did it, B'Di'avar, if they did, add an extra month to those years, Ha'rezu Mi'uberet. So it's considered mirobet. Now what? That means you have an extra year of Shemitah, for example. Or you have an extra month, I'm sorry, of Shemitah. You have an extra month of Motzei Shemitah. Now, V'chodesh echad shumosif Lo patur mimasrotu And what do you think? That extra month that they added, you don't think it becomes patur from Masrot? Why? Because in Shemitah, there is no deen of Masir. Right? Everything is considered Hefker. And therefore, if the rabbis, they shouldn't make, let's say, an extra extra month. And we'll see why they don't add the extra month. But if they did, it counts. Now what does that mean? That means the rabbis are really now saying that this month has the status of Shemitah. And if it has the status of Shemitah, we know Shemitah is exempt from Masir. But it's working through a what? At this point, we're understanding it's working through the principle of Hefkir Betin Hefkir. Because it's the rabbis that sanctified the extra month. And therefore, their month, their um, uh, extra month now is going to be Mafkiyah, is going to uproot the deed of Maaser, just like Shemitah has. Shemitah in the Torah, there's no Maaser. So when the rabbis institute an extra month, it also is going to take away from the Maaser. So the Gemara wants to prove from here that Hefker Betin Hefker does indeed take away the rights of the Nevi'im. Exactly. Now, comes the Gemara and analyzes. Ad Kedon Shevi'it. I understand Shivi'it why you can add an extra month. Why? Because you're adding an extra month that they can't go to work and work their fields. That would be too much of a tira. It's enough for one year that the farmer does not work. But now you're gonna tell him an extra month he needs to live. So therefore we understand why the Khatahila why in Shivi'it it is a problem. Mm. However, Motsa'esh Shivi'it Mai, what's the reason why you can't add an extra month in the year? In the eighth year. So Amar Rabbi Rabbi Boon says Rabbi said and also Rabbi Boon said Hadash in order not to extend the Isur of Hadash. Now let's analyze. We're in the eighth year now. Now in the eighth year they start they start up their fields again. Right? Now they have their uh, hita. Now, they're not allowed to eat this hita yet until the second day of Pesach that they bring the Qurban Ha'omer. Now, if you're going to 
extend an extra month, so now you're extending another month where they cannot eat the wheat that grew that year. Now, again, you have to remember, the sixth year produce already was eaten. Nothing was grown really during the seventh year. So they're really relying on that eighth year produce. So to add an extra month, to be putting Pesach a month later, so now already you're causing all this wheat to still be Hadash. And it's not going to be permissible till a month later. So therefore the Hakamim, Lekatayla, would not add an extra a month to Motsa'eh Shavi'it. So now, let's just review where we're holding. The Gemara's original question, where we came on to all this was, was when Hefker Betin Hefker, we wanted to know what's the deal with Ma'asrot. Right, he is the, the Levi still get his Maser from the field or he loses his Maser. So the Gemara wanted to bring a proof and say he loses his Maser. What's the proof? Because when the Hachamim declare a leap year, even though they shouldn't, but if they did, we say the leap year is a leap year. Now the Gemara is assuming if it's a leap year, it has a deen of Shivirit. That month has a deen of Shivirit. And what's the deen of Shivirit? There is no Maserot. And therefore you see what? That Hefker Betin Hefker has the ability to be Mafkiya, the Maser of the Leviim. To that, the Gemara is going to say, no. I'll tell you why um, they're in that month that the Achamim make a leap year, I'll tell you why the Maaser is not applicable. Because it's not working for Mehefker Betin Hefker. Because the Torah demands to make a leap year in certain situations. So therefore, it's not a rabbinic law, it's a Torah law. So therefore, yeah, you know why there's no ma'asir in that month? Because the Torah says, it's Shemitah. Because the Torah demands to make a leap year. However, in a case where by the Kil'ayim, where the rabbis are coming to law, along, and they're mafkiring the guy's field to Kanasim, who says that they Kanas the Levi? And if we have no proof from Shemitah. Shemitah's leap year, that's a deen de oraita. A deen de oraita, of course, is a deen of Shemitah. Therefore, it's going to be patu v'ma'asir. But you can't learn from there to tell me that when it's a rabbinic hefked betin hefked, that it'll also be poter ma'asir. And that's what the Gibbala is going to say right now. Amar Rabbaboon. Rabbaboon said, En min hada, from what you just quoted, from this statement over here, let achmak mina klum. You do not learn anything from here. You have no proof from over here. Why? Shabod et Chodesh Abiv. Because the Torah says you have to protect the Chodesh Abiv, the uh, the month of the spring, which is Nisan. What are you protecting exactly? Shumrehu sheyaviu behedusho. Make sure that the uh, spring falls out in the hedusho in the. In the beginning of the month of Nisan, when the month is new. When is the month of Nisan new? The first 14 days, when the, the moon is rising. Right? So the Hakamim are bound by the Torah, Lo Shamor Aviv. You have to make sure that in the beginning of Nisan, that the spring season will start. Now, if it's not going to happen, they have no choice but to make a leap year. Then I'd say, law from the Torah. And therefore, you have no proof from a Torah law why they patur from Maaseh to a case of Hefker Bedin, Hefker. Comes Gemaran, continues and says, Veheda Amra Da. So now we get, where do we know then that Hefker Bedin, Hefker 
does exempt from Ma'asir. Again, the Gemara's question, Veheda Amrada, from where do we know this? Let me ask the same question again. So that was a proof that was rejected. So where do you know the uh, proof from? So the Gemara says from here, Gadish. Gadish is a pile of wheat. Shelolukat. Tahtav. The farmer did not give his entitlements or the entitlements that belong to the Aniyim. There's certain uh, parts of the wheat, like Leket, Shekhan, Pe'ah, that the Aniyim have a Helek. This guy denied the Aniyim of theirs. Helek, and he just went and he made a big pile of the wheat. So what is the deen? Hanugot Ba'aris, the bottom layer of that pile that's touching the ground, Haren Shel Aniyim. All of that stuff belongs to the Anim, to the poor. The Amar of Ami, Beshem Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, the Bet That he said that this Chita is following Bet Shammai. Why would his Bet Shammai say? So look at the Teklin Hatin, he explains. The Bet Shammai, Teklin Hatin, first line. The Amar Hefker la Anim Hefker. He held the concept that it's possible to make something hefker specifically just fa'anim. Vulfichach yachol leosif upatur menamaser, which means, let's say there's more than the ani deserves, but you're giving him the whole bottom layer. So what? The owner is able to make that bottom uh, layer hefker to the anim specifically. And Bet Shemai holds of the opinion that says Hefker la'aniyim is Hefker And therefore the Aniyim will be patur from Ma'asir Because Leket, Shekhan and Pe'ah are exempt from Ma'asir Continue Aba lebet el-el En rashay leosif velitena nogot pa'aris la'aniyim Betrat Leket velifto'm in a Ma'asir Bet el holds You can't make a specific Hefker It's got to be Hefker for everybody Hefker fa'aniyim and hefker fa'ashirim You can't do this business of hefker just for aniyim Now what's going to be the problem? The problem is like this Since you cannot make such a thing hefker So therefore You're not going to be able to give them the Bottom layer Why? Because maybe in the bottom layer there's more Than what they deserve And on the part that's more than Lincoln's Shkapa They're going to be hayaf to give Ma'asir so therefore, he can give them the bottom layer, but the Anim will still have to take Ma'asir, misafek, that maybe there's a little extra. According to Bet Shammai, doesn't matter. Even if there is extra, doesn't matter, it's Hefkir. You don't have to give Ma'asir on Hefkir. What do you mean? How did you make the bottom layer Hefkir? Because Bet Shammai holds Hefkir, La'aniyim Hefkir. So therefore, technically if the guy wants to make the whole Gadish Hefkir, he can make it. But he only makes it the bottom layer because to give the Anim their portion. So that's following who? Bet Shammai. But according to Bet Tillil, while you'll give him the bottom layer, but the Anim will still have to give their Ma'asir. And the Gemara says, Di'ike Bet Tillil, Anim Ochlim Ma'asrin. Yeah, the Anim can take the bottom layer, but they're going to have to give Ma'asir. Why? Because maybe they're going to take a little extra, and on the extra that they take, there's a Chayuv of Ma'asir. Now we get to the opinion. The Amadeh Rabbi Yoseh, Rabbi Yoseh said, Shamanu shehu patur b'ma'asir devrehakol mishum kenasah. He says, we heard that according to everybody, the bottom layer that you give to the Aniyim is patur from ma'asir. 
Fan according to Betanel, Ben according to Bet Shamai. Why? Because it's Betin that makes it Hefkir. It's not the owner that's making the bottom row Hefkir. It's a Knas on the guy. Hey, you uh, robbed from the Aniyim there, like you made a pile already? You know what? We're making that bottom of your pile Hefkir with Betin's uh, approval. Oh, and what does it say? Patumim Aser. So you see from Rabbi Yosef that what? That when Hefker Betin Hefker works, it is poter from Maser. Halacha Gimal. Matnitin. Mahamisha Asarbo on the 15th of Nisan, Shulchanot Tayu Yoshvim Medina. The money changes will start to sit in Yerushalayim, or some say throughout the cities of Israel, in order to make change for the people that are coming to give their half a shekel. They have different uh, currencies, so the money change would have to come out in order to make the change. But on the 25th of Adar, Yashvu Bamikdash. They would move all the money changes to the Temple Mount in order to be a signal to the people that time is running out in order that they should be zealous to give their. Uh, shekel, half a shekel, which is once already the people saw the money changes, moved their offices to the uh, temple mat, everybody knew that time is running out. Now once already they started to sit on the temple mat, they would start now to, is to force people, right? They would actually extract the pledges from the people that were obligated. Now, who's obligated? Who would be a subject to extracting these payments? Levi'im, the Yisraelim, the Gerim, that would be converts, the Abadim Mishukhladim, that would be an Eved Kenani, that is freed. Nashim, ladies were not obligated in Hefe Shekel, the Abadim, regular Eved Kenani, Uktanim, and for that matter, minors. Vechol Katan Shethil Abib Lishkol Al Yado, Shub Enoposek. However, if a father had a custom to give half a shekel for his son, so he should not stop. Every year he would be obligated to give that half a shekel for his son, who is a minor, as well. The Mishnah then says, we do not extract payment for half a shekel from the Kohanim in order to keep the peace, in order to keep shalom amongst the Kohanim. Gemara will explain. Amar Biuda, He'id ben Bukhri b'Yavne. Ben Bukhri testified in Yavne. Kol Kohen sheshokel enochote. Any Kohen that gives half a shekel, he's not making a sin. Meaning he doesn't have to gave his patur ben Bukhri held, but he also held that it's not considered a sin. We will see exactly uh, why we would think it should be a sin at all. Amar lo rabban Yohanan ben Zakai? Lo ki. It's not so. Ela kol kohen sheeno shokel choteh. Yeah, he holds the Yohanan ben Zakai, the Kohanim, have to give half a shekel. And if they don't give the half a shekel, they're considered sinners. That's a very important mahloket. Are Kohanim obligated in Mahasita shekel or not? Mahloket uh, you see between the Tanaim. And you see over Ben Bukhri says, but if they give, it's not considered sinful. Ela, Shah Kohanim Dorshim Mekra Zela 
even though the Kohanim are obligated to give, the Mishnah says the Kohanim would conveniently interpret a pasuk in the Torah to their benefit to give them an excuse why they don't have to give the half a shekel. How would they interpret the pasuk? It says, "Vechol minhat kohen kalil lo te'achil." We have a law. Any mincha, that's specifically a meal offering of a kohen. Right? If kohen brings, let's say, a meal offering. So the deen is, nobody can eat it. The whole mincha goes on the mizbeyah. So anything that's solely owned by a kohen, it's not eaten. So the kohanim would come along and say, ah, so if it's solely owned by the kohanim, it's a minhat kohen, you cannot eat it. They would say, Well, we have three type of minahot that we do eat. We have the omer, that's the korban uh, omer, the shtel lechem, that's the two breads that they would bring on Shavuot, as well as the lechem apanim, which is the showbread that they would eat every Shabbat. So they would say, Heach ne'echalim. If you're telling me that anything that belongs to the Kohen, you can't uh, eat, so therefore, how do we eat it? Ela, you have to say what? That we're exempt from shekel. Because if we're going to give our shekel to the Bet HaMikdash, so now it's going to be considered what? As if it's considered minhat Kohen. And if it's minhat Kohen, you can't eat it. So therefore, it must be what? We're exempt. And once we're exempt, so now it's not coming from minhat Kohen anymore. It's minhat of the Sibur pays for it. And therefore, we have an ability to eat it. So they would interpret that pasuk to exempt them from the Hayyuv uh, of Shekel. Now let's, let's read that. I'll explain that once again. Again, the Mishnah said that therefore the Kwarim held mistakenly that they're not obligated to give half a shekel. However, their dirasha obviously was not a true dirasha. Like the Mishnah says, they were doreshin la'asman. They were doreshin for their own benefit. Um, because... Uh, the, the, the difference is that only a private minha of a kohen cannot be eaten. But a partnership that a kohen has in a public uh, minha, certainly they can eat. So therefore, conveniently, they would donate this bazooka and say, What? Anything that a kohen has a rights to goes to God. Therefore, we can't have rights to this, uh, these three items. After all, we're eating it. Therefore, we can't give the mazita shekel. And the on now. Analyze the Gemara says, "And the Mashkenin etaketanim." Okay, we're not allowed to extract payment from a minor, from a katan, from the mahsid hashik. Halit bawa togain. However, you can ask for it. Hada de temar that which we said this whole din that we said. That's only talking where he reached, let's say, 13 years old, where he brought two sarot, which is a sign of puberty and a sign of maturity. But if he did not bring two sarot, which means you don't even him. You don't even ask him for the donation, for the ma'azit ha So the Gabbai is giving a rule now. 
if he's a katan that's less than 13 that brings their sarot, you leave him alone. You're not toveya, and you're not certainly mimashkin. However, once he reaches 13 years old, you could be toveya, meaning you're asking for it, but you cannot extract it. Gemara continues. Gemara says, Lo beda. Which means, Eno bedin. Which means, this din over here, that we say you toveya, that you extract, that you ask him for the money. Right. Exactly. But if you don't bring tzisarot, you can't even ask him for the money. So the lo beda is going on. The previous, good. Lo beda period. Ul mashken. And that which we said that what? You can... Extracted, even though he brought Betsarot, even though he brought Betsarot. So, really, you have to change that Girsat to Ajiye bin Aslim. Which means, for Maskon, you gotta wait till he's 20. So, it comes out, there's three stages. You have the Katan, Katan Shibi Betsarot, and then somebody that is 20. When he's a katan, totally it's nothing. You don't ask him for it, and certainly you don't mimeshkin, you don't extract it for him. Once he's a katan that brought bet salarot, you can ask him for the Ipes Jacob, but you cannot be mimeshkin. Once he gets to the age of 20, then already you ask him for it. If he doesn't pay, you're even able to extract it. That's the way the taklin hatin, if you look at it, gives you the three levels of katan. Okay, comes the Gemara and continues. This is the way we're supposed to explain our Mishnah. Which means, that which the Mishnah said that you don't collect from the Kohanim because of Darkesh Shalom, it doesn't mean uh, in order to keep peace amongst the Kohanim, because if that's the case, we should not uh, extract the uh, Shekhanim either from Yisraelim. Which is, you want to keep peace, you shouldn't extract the, uh, from anybody just to keep the peace. So explanation really is Derech Kavod. Because since they uh, work in the Veta Mikdash and they have a very high position, it wouldn't be respectful for us to go and start extracting the money from them. Ella, we rely that they'll pay it. But another person that maybe doesn't have such a high position like a Kohen, so he can even go and extract it. So it's not Darkesh Shalom, it's Derech Kavod. Amar of Yehuda, Eid. Okay, so of Yehuda, and now Mishnah said what? That he had a testimony from Ben Bukhri in Yavne, that any Kohen that gives the Hef shekel, he's not making a sin. He's not considered a Chotev. So Gemara says like this: Amar Rabbi Benachia, Ta'amad Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai. The reason that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai that says the Kohanim Hayav to give Magasita Shekel is because when it says by the pasuk Magasita Shekel Ze Yitenu, the word Ze numerical value is how much? Twelve. Shneim Asar Shevatim Yitenu. So therefore, the twelve tribes, including Shevet Levi. So therefore, that's what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai learns the Hayu for Kohanim to give the Ma'asit HaShekel, it's a Gematria from the word Zeh. Comes the Gemara and says, now, 
at the end of our Mishnah it said that Rabban Yochanan ben Zakai told Rabbi Yehuda ben uh, told Rabbi Yehuda and Ben Bukhri that what the Kohanim they take that pasuk of Kol Minhat Kohen Kalil Teyelot Achel and they doresh it conveniently for themselves. Right, that was Rabbi Yochanan's contention. Why did the Quranim not give their Mahazita uh, Shekel? Because they say, if we're going to give the Mahazita Shekel, we're not going to be able to eat from the Minchata Omer, we're not going to be allowed to eat from the Shteal Lechem, and from the Lechem Aparim. Therefore they say, conveniently, we're exempt. Amar, or actually, Rabbi Tabi B'Shem Rabbi Menunah, Ken Meshivin Hachamim Rabbi Yudah. This is the way the Hachamim uh, answered back Rabbi Yehuda, which means Ben Bukhri and Rabbi Yehuda held that Kwanim are patur. The Gemara continues. Rabbi Tabi b'shem Rab Hamenuna. Rabbi Tabi said in the name of Rab Hamenuna, Ken Meshivin Hachamim Rabbi Yehuda. This is the question that the Hachamim that hold like Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai. That Kohanim are indeed Hayav and Machasita Shekel. This is the question they asked in the Biuda that says, that holds like Ben Bukhli that says Kohanim are not obligated in Machasita Shekel. So they asked him, how could you say that they're not obligated in Machasita Shekel and at the same time say, but if they give it, they're not considered sinners? Why? Because we have a halakha, Hatat Yaqid. That certain times when an individual brings a Qurban Khatat, where for example, they cannot bring it on the Mizbeah. For example, let's say the owners died. So that's a case where an individual Qurban Khatat is not able to be brought on the Mizbeah. Meta. The deen is that you let it die. However, in Khatat, Sibur Meta. If this was a Qurban Khatat of the Sibur, you do not let it die, meaning you would let it graze until it gets a blemish, and then you would sell it and use the money to buy other korbanot to place on the mizbeach, to keep the mizbeach uh, constantly having korbanot. So we see there's a difference between a yahid when it comes to a khatat and a sibur when it comes to khatat. Similarly, minhat a yahid. A private mincha of a kohen, kereba kalil, is totally brought on the mizbeach, nobody eats from it. The en minchat sibur, but a public mincha of the sibur, for example, omer, shtel, lechem, and lechem, which are public korbanot, the public minchot of the sibur, kereba kalil. These items are not totally brought on the Mizbayah, meaning the Kohanim are able to eat from them. So now here's the question. Rabbi Yehuda, you say that what? That Kohanim are exempt from Mahasita Shekel. If that's the case, if they donate Mahasita Shekel, meaning they're not obligated, but you said if they give it, they're not making a sin. Why aren't they making a sin? When they give their Mahasita Shekel voluntarily, so that's going to turn the Shte'alechem, the Lechem Apanim, and the Omer into a private Minha. Because now the Kohanim have the Halik in it. It's not Simur anymore. Because they're not obligated to give the Mahasita Shekel. So it's a privately donated uh, Shekel by a Kohen. And therefore that should disallow them from eating it. And therefore, 
they should be considered sinners if they give them Atzita Shekel because now when the Kohanim eat these Menachot, they're eating it unlawfully. So how could you tell me that if they give them Atzita Shekel, it's not considered sinning? Again, if they give them Azita Shekel, it's willingly. And therefore it's a donation of the Yahid. And therefore it's going to turn the, for example, the Shtech into a Minha of the Yahid. Because the Kohen now has his money donated there. It's not considered a Sibur anymore. Now, that is the question against Rabbi Uda. Now the Gemara just goes on a side point. And the Gemara says, Bekasha, we have a question on this question that Rahim asked Rabbi Uda. Can you ask a question on somebody to something that he himself does not agree to? Meaning, you want to prove that there's a difference between Yaqid and Sibur by Menachot. And you prove that from that there's a difference between Yaqid and Sibur from Qurban Hatat. But the Bihudah does not agree to that when it comes to Qurban Hatat. Ditnan, She'en Hatat Sibur Meta. Hachamim said that Hatat Sibur does not die, meaning you sell it and use the proceeds for different Qurbanot. Rabbi Yudah Omer Tamut. Rabbi Yudah says, just like a Hatat Yahid dies, so too a Hatat Sibur dies. So therefore, why you, you can't, could you prove the difference between Yahid and Sibur from Hatat, where Rabbi Yudah himself holds there is no Hiluk? That being said, the Gemara does not have to answer this question because bottom line, it's still a question against the Biudah because the Biudah does agree that a minha that is uh, a minhat yachid of a kohen we have a pasuk in the Torah that clearly says that a minhat yachid of a kohen cannot be eaten it totally goes on the Mizbayah so we're back to the same question if that's the case when they voluntarily donate their money they're FSHK and that they're not obligated to give so therefore they should be considered sinners because now when they come to eat the Shteh Lechem and the Lechem Panim and the Omer it's considered a Minchat Yaqid of a Kohen that is not allowed to eat so why do you say they're not considered sinners so the Gemara says Motiv Lan answers and says Zu Lan Nidbat Yaqidhi this is not considered a private donation because private donations normally do not are not given over to the public funds. However, this giving over of the hefes shekel that the Kohen is giving, he's giving it to the Sibur. And therefore it's not considered a Nedavah Yahid. And therefore it's not going to make the Qurban Omer and the Lechel Panim and those Minahat, it's not going to make them considered a private Qurban of the Kohen. Because bottom line, he's giving it over to the Sibur. And therefore it's considered like Sibur. Now, uh, the Biyudah does say that Kohenim are not obligated to give this Mahasita Shekel. However, uh, if they do give this mahzita shekel, he does hold it as a deen of sibur, and therefore it is not a problem. The inun metivim but the will answer back. Kevan shenim la sibur. Once the koanim give this over to the sibur, kemi shehu nidbat sibur. It is considered totally an edabab the sibur. Now, which means like this, Hakanim are not concerned that the Kohanim might not give it over wholeheartedly. 
Because if they don't give it over wholeheartedly, so then already they're giving it as a private donation. It's not considered sibur. Hakim, we're not worried about that. They say anything that's given over to the sibur is considered in the dabab as sibur, even though, let's say in his mind, he's not giving over wholeheartedly, batadato. And therefore, it's considered totally the sibur, therefore there's no problem. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda will say, yes, when an individual gives something to the sibur, it has a deen of the sibur, but don't give it. Why? Because maybe he's not going to give it full-heartedly. And if he doesn't give it full-heartedly, it's going to be considered a yahid. However, even the Bihuda will say that if they gave it, then I consider it sinners because bottom line, they're giving the shekel to the sibur. And therefore, since they're giving to the sibur, even though it's not full-heartedly, it's not considered a nidana of a yahid. Therefore, it will not impact the eating of the koanim of those menachot. Therefore, it's not considered that they are considered sinners. Comes the Gemara continues. Ketiv, it says in the Torah, by Mahazita Shekel, call Alver ala Pekudim. That anybody that passes literally by the Pekudim, by the ones that are counted, from 20 years and up, they have to give the Terumah. The Biudav, the Bidahamya. We have a Mahalukh between the Biudav and the Bidahamya and explain this Pasuk. Had Amar, one rabbi says, when it says, Kola Over, what does it mean, Over? Anybody that passes, call the Abar Biyama. Anybody that passed Yamsuf when we came out of Egypt, Yitin, has to give Mahasita Shekel. Now, according to this, Kohanim and Devim also passed the Yamsuf when they came out of Egypt, therefore they would also be obligated to give from the Mahasita Shekel, because they were also Over. Veharna and a different Tana Amar called the Avar al Pekudaya. Anybody that was counted. That was part of the census of Bnei Israel, Yitin. They have to give the Ma'asita Shekel. However, since Kwanim and Devi'im were not part of the census, because Moshe sent them home, and actually he counted them by their tents, all Bnei Israel, they passed by Moshe. They passed by Moshe when they were counted. However, the Leviim, Moshe Rabbeinu went to their homes and counted them there. So they were only Kolaover. Again, man, so therefore they're going to be exempt according to this understanding. So the Gemara says, Man, the Amar According to the opinion that says, anybody that crossed the Yam. We'll have to give Ma'asita Shekel, Messiah Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai. That's a proof to Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai that says Kwanim are obligated. But anybody that says, the opinion that says that anybody that passed by Moshe to be counted, and therefore Kwanim are exempt, Messiah ben Bukhri. That would be a proof for the opinion of Ben Bukhri that says Kwanim indeed are Peturi. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Ve'amen.